Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> Solitude Written by Ben Errington Narrated by Josh Curran I did a bad thing I did a real bad thing. My relationship with my wife, Mandy, had been difficult for some time. Although the first few years of our marriage had been relatively incident-free, except for a few minor disagreements, it went downhill drastically when I quit my job watering plants at the local garden center to become a full-time writer. Mandy never used to be one for status and material possessions, I love apparently enough for her when we traveled to Las Vegas to get hitched at a drive through chapel. As the years went by, however, she'd start to care more and more about what designer labels were on her clothes and the size of our house, both of which couldn't be improved by our moderate paychecks alone. I blamed the girls at the nail salon where she worked. All of their talk of rich boyfriends, lavish hotels, and expensive gifts got Mandy wanting more more than I could provide. (laughs) She started to go wild with credit cards and sometimes had more money than could be accounted for. 
I found piles of hundred-dollar bills in a shoebox at the back of a utility cupboard, hidden behind a pile of magazines. It was either drugs or sex. I could be sure of that. I just couldn't bring myself to confront her. She was distant, yet she seemed happy. She was driving a better car and going to better restaurants and wearing better shoes. Money doesn't buy everyone happiness, but for Mandy at least, that seemed to be the case. I missed her, but I was too wrapped up in my work to really see just how bad our relationship had gotten. We were living under the same roof most of the time, but we might as well have been living on separate planets. She'd come and go without a word, and I would do the same when I needed to, often finding the need for a change of scenery after hours, cooped up in the same room, typing away, fully engrossed in the world I was creating. I wanted to write a mythological tale that transcended time and space, a piece that would sit beyond the spiritual planes. I wanted to create something that would be analyzed and discussed for centuries after my remains were put in the ground. A piece of fiction that would make people reevaluate their own existence, affecting them in such a formidable way that they'd pass on the story to their children and them to their children after that. I wanted my work to be studied by the greatest minds in literature, and for my words to inspire the writers of the future, people who would ensure prose wasn't lost in the ever-expanding digital age. Did this sound too ambitious? A little narcissistic, perhaps? Mandy always thought so. In fact, she'd stop listening most times that I began explaining my ambition. Her eyes would glaze over, or she'd begin scrolling through her smartphone, anything to avoid conversing with me about a concept that she clearly thought of as beneath her. As we grew more and more withdrawn from each other, and our relationship became nearly non-existent, I began to hit a brick wall with my writing. I found myself scrutinizing every word I typed, and, and couldn't find the momentum that I once had soon becoming convinced that I would never be able to sustain a career as a successful author, let alone create a piece as perfect as I wanted to. I blamed everything around me, the shit old house I found myself stuck inside every single day and staring at the ceilings of every single night. I blamed the coffee and the booze I poured down my throat. I blamed myself, sure. My arrogance had played a part in more or less losing my wife, of course, but... That was the hardest to face up to. It was near enough impossible to own up to the fact, and my denial soon gave way to rage. It was far easier to blame Mandy. She came home one night, after jumping out of the car belonging to a man I couldn't identify from my spot behind the curtain of the living room. He was driving a Mercedes and planted a kiss on her lips as she turned to him before running up the drive toward our front door. He yelled something after her, and she turned again, blowing a kiss and slapping her ass playfully. It was this act of treachery, merely yards from the spot where I was slaving away, day after day, that was the final straw for me. I'd rather not see what I knew must have been happening. I'd never been a violent person, and 
often took out my frustrations with exercise, something I'd been neglecting massively in recent months. But my fists were shaking as she closed the door behind her and bounded into the kitchen, her heels clanging on the tiled floor. Who was that? I asked, my presence making her jump out of her skin. Her makeup was smeared around her face, and she seemed drunk or high or both. She couldn't even look at me. I asked you a question, Mandy, I said, but my voice was already retreating. Her hair was greasy, and her dark roots bled into the yellow or the faded, bleached blonde that hung around her acne-dotted face. Someone who fucks me better than you, she slurred her teeth clenched. I stopped breathing. I moved across the kitchen silently, grabbing her by the shoulder and turning her to face me. I hit her as hard as I could in the face with my fist. But I didn't hit her once. I didn't hit her twice. I knocked her to the ground and I hit her over and over again until her nose was mush and my knuckles were raw. I didn't stop when she put her hands out to shield my blows. I didn't stop when I felt the hard edges of her teeth cut the skin between my fingers. I didn't stop when she called out, a desperate cry like a hungry bird that I forced back down her throat. I didn't stop when her head hit the floor and I pummeled her skull against it until there was blood in her eyes. I only stopped when I had to take a breath as I had been holding the air in my lungs during the attack. Mandy didn't look like Mandy anymore. I took Mandy to the hospital, but then I ran, like a rat bastard coward. I packed some essentials, clothes, and notebooks, and traveled across the country. I couch-surfed for a few weeks in the homes of people I used to know, and some casual acquaintances I made. My insistence that I'd be gone after a night at the most an inconvenience to all of them. It was after a month or so that I found a place. After buying a tent and camping basics, I spent several nights on a hillside near a lake. Dog walkers came before the sun had come up, and one frosty morning I followed one of them into a wooded area, packing my belongings into an enormous backpack that I'd been carrying everywhere. They were calling after their dog that had wandered off, the woods growing thick with each step I took. After a while, the dog walker was gone, and so was my view of the approaching daylight. And that was when I found it. A cabin almost entirely obscured from view by vines and thorny branches that wrapped around each angle and alcove like it was protecting it from the outside world. It was small, and a lot of the exterior was waterlogged and rotten, but after dislodging some of the overgrowth and cutting away some of the thicker foliage with my knife, I managed to pull the door open enough for me to squeeze in. I had to take my pack off and drag it through behind me, the door closing loosely with a slam after I ducked inside. Most of the inside was dry, and although there were leaves and newspapers covering much of the floor, there was a table and chair that seemed to be relatively untouched by the unforgiving hand of nature. There was a wood fire in the far corner, 
and although much of what had made this building cosy at one point was long gone, I knew with a bit of effort I could make this place inhabitable for a short period. There was no bed, but I knew that I could make do with the sleeping bag I'd acquired. I'd gotten used to getting enough rest in relatively uncomfortable positions. Plus, the notebooks I had brought had only a few pages of scribbles, so I knew that I could put my attention to my writing while in this place of solitude. All that I needed to work out was just how I'd managed to keep myself fed and watered, as my rations were already running low. I guess that was a problem to approach at another time. I needed to give the cabin a spring clean to ensure I wasn't living like a hermit. My writing was coming on leaps and bounds. I spent many hours making the most of the crack of daylight that spilled in from an open window that was almost blocked completely by thorny bushes. At night, I found some candles in a drawer of a half-destroyed cabinet and used some matches that I had bought to light the cabin that was already beginning to feel homely. There was something satisfying and grandiose about writing by candlelight. I felt myself akin to some great playwrights of centuries gone by, watching my words appear as ink on the page as flame flickered nearby. I slept little and often, my light slumber mostly broken. However, one particular night, as a candle dimmed, I drifted into a bizarre deep sleep that crossed into a lucid dream. I was standing in the center of my cabin, watching newspaper pages drift over my feet as the thorny vines outside the building began to move, tightening their grip and blocking the door. They creaked as they stirred, their forms strangely snake-like as much of the light left that was coming through the window began to become obstructed. The room darkened as the candle went out. Mandy's banshee-like screams through bubbling blood calling out somewhere in the forest outside. When I awoke, a tiny plume of smoke floated toward me from the candle across the room. As I climbed to my feet, I noticed that the thorny vines were in fact much more overgrown, their tendrils finding their way into the cabin through cracks in the wood. I continued writing, but I had a strange sense that the room was smaller somehow as if the very walls had constricted, the cabin now shrunk by a couple of feet. I put the uneasy thought to the back of my mind and continued working throughout the day before I ate the last of my food, nuts, and dried fruit, knowing that I'd have to leave the cabin the following day to find some more. I tried the door handle, and it refused to budge. I knew that it would take a lot to cut my way out, but I decided to wait until morning. As I tried to sleep, I could hear the vines moving as I had in my dream. It was as if they had a voice, a slight squeal that I could only just hear, but something that was communicating somehow amongst themselves, their shoots coiling around the framework of the cabin, their grasp growing tighter and tighter by the second. Somehow I eventually slept, but the nightmares were relentless. I felt the thorns creeping around my body as it slept in a ball, the sleeping bag covering my head like a cowl. They were sharp and began scratching my skin, but there was nothing I could do, my body refusing to move even when the pain was agonizing. The vines creaked louder now, forcing their way into the cabin as the walls of the building got closer and closer. 
I tried to wake myself up, wanting to escape from the room before the vines suffocated me with their elaborate forms. They began to wrap around my legs and wrists, my mouth filling with blood and objects that felt like stones, choking me as I struggled to breathe. I turned my head to spit them out, but they were not stones. They were teeth. However, they were not mine. My mouth wasn't missing any at all. I spat blood all over them, watching them wriggle away from me like tiny captives who had just escaped a cell. When I finally awoke, my body was covered in cold sweat. I couldn't see much at all. The thorny vines were close, inches from my face now. Much of the cabin walls now splintered and broken, caught up in the branches in slender slivers. I tried to call out, but my voice refused to work. My throat was dry, and something grasped around my neck like ice-cold fingers. I hoped that someone nearby, perhaps one of the dog walkers, could see the dilapidated cabin and would somehow know that I was inside, trapped within the maze of spiked arms that had grown with such vigor overnight. I could hear the creaking of the vines clearly now, the minuscule voices of each barb talking to the next. They'd made a prison for me and I'd willfully climbed inside, given up my body to their hungry, spiked mouths. I screamed, my voice momentarily croaking as the sharp thorns pierced my skin, the branches closing around me as they shredded my flesh. I felt how Mandy must have. Helpless as an external force used its brute strength to commit a terrible act of physical harm. I tried to scream louder, but my voice no longer complied. The coils of the vines opening my mouth like a dentist's cheek retractors and shoving their way down my throat, ripping my gums and tongue, choking me on gurgling blood. I prayed that I would soon wake up, but deep down, I knew that I already had. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. Solitude, written by Ben Errington, narrated by Josh Curran, edited by Carl Hughes, and music by C. Folk and Tom Robson. Hey you, are you a writer? Do you fancy yourself a storyteller? Have a spare quill and pot of ink lying around? Well, we're looking for great new writers to submit their stories for the upcoming themes of The Other Stories, theme parks and fairy tales. If you've got a story in you and fancy having it professionally produced and narrated and put out there for the other story's audience, then go to hawkandcleaver.com forward slash submissions and read through the details there. Once again, that's www.hawkandcleaver.com forward slash submissions. We look forward to hearing what dark and twisted fantasies lie within that pretty little noggin of yours. Until next time. 